Next Chapter Podcasts. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's such a good song. Such a good song, man. In My Place by Coldplay from their 2002 sophomore album, A Rush of Blood to the Head. It's also number 466 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What is up, Fleece Army? How my little Fleecers doing? I hope you guys are enjoying this ride through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the top 500 albums. I am. I fucking love it. I love doing this every week. So thank you guys for tuning in and uh, and giving me some ears to, to talk about music to, man. Uh, also, thank you to all the people doing the Instagram stories. Keep doing it. Take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me. At Josh Adam Myers and give it a hashtag, the 500 podcast. Give me a 24 hour ad on your social media so we can get the word out. Today, June 26th, today in music in 2004, defying predictions of musical and personal implosion, Velvet Revolver, fronted by Scott Weiland. And with three ex-Guns N' Roses members in the lineup, debuts at number one in America with their first album, Contraband. The reason I picked this fact for today is I don't think I've ever been more excited about a band ever in my whole life. What got me into music and like really wanting to be in bands was Scott Weiland and Stone Temple Pilots. But even be- but before that, I mean, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction is the one record that I can pinpoint the exact moment that I heard it. Laying in my bed, listening to DC 101, they played the whole album all the way through. So, so Velvet Revolver is just con- combining my two favorite acts literally in, in the history of music uh, for me up until that point. I went to go see them perform at the 930 Club before the album came out. It was one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life. And also, if you would have told me that I'd be friends with some of the members. I mean, Dave Kushner, the rhythm guitarist, has done the goddamn Comedy Jam a few times. We've worked together on F is for Family. He's just the fucking man. So big shout out to Kushner slash Duff fucking... Matt Sorum, and of course, rest in peace, Scott Weiland. I actually sang this song. I sang a song, Slither, on my taping of the goddamn Comedy Jam on Comedy Central. And it was, if you've, if you've seen the show and you saw that performance, you were like, that's what the goddamn Comedy Jam is. Josh Adam Myers jumping around, singing like a fucking idiot to Slither by Velvet Revolver. 
not fucking Taryn Manning singing Def Leppard. Booyah, booyah, I'm fucking right. God bless everybody that's involved with Revolver. And if you fuck with that record, send me a message on Twitter and tell me that you love Velvet Revolver Contraband. Now, I also love the band that's album is up for discussion today. I had a, man, it's just like a, a love story with Coldplay. But if you don't know who they are, let's get into it. Coldplay appeared on the scene in 2000 with the anthemic soaring, quiet, loud, quiet ballad Yellow off their debut album Parachutes, which is so fucking good. Although the London, England quartet of vocalist, pianist Chris Martin, guitarist Johnny Buckland, and bassist Guy Berryman. Guy Berryman, must, must, I think, is the most British name I've ever heard in my life. I'm Guy Berryman. Hello. I play the bass. And drummer Will Champion had already put out two EPs, which are fucking great, by the way. If you haven't heard the Coldplay EPs, get them. After forming in the late 90s, this was the first song that got them national and international attention. Like several other singularly named post-Brit pop groups at the time, such as Travis, I love them, and Keen, fucking love Keen, Coldplay seemed to pick up the mantle of tender but muscular stadium fillers that radio had discarded to be so esoteric. Like their musical heroes of that time, U2 and R.E.M., Coldplay's passion and desire to affect even the fans all the way up to the nosebleed seats instantly connected with the world. 2002's A Rush of Blood to the Head was only their second album, but it left little doubt that they intended to find success by following in their idol's footsteps. So, great band, great story. And I've got a great guest. One of my closest friends in comedy, the one and only Kelsey Cook. You may know her from Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening and The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Also, she's got an incredibly popular podcast called Self Helpless, which we talk about in this episode. Kelsey is a huge Coldplay fan, so it was awesome to be able to sit down and talk to her. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast where we spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by Coldplay. Also, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. For all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. Well, you know what time it is. Nothing left to say, but here we go with number 466 out of 500 with a rush of blood to the head by Coldplay. Such a Kelsey fucking cook. You're such a Kelsey. You know how hard it is to sing like Chris Martin? Oh, I mean, who can imitate that voice? And he, and he lives like that all the time. He's all like, day, every day. He's like, Comcast, I've been waiting here all day between 9 and 11 to have the satellite adjusted.
It's a beautiful night. Be- just everything's so whimsical with him. Oh, God. You know? he's, he's one of the most whimsical <laughs> people in the world. And that's, I think, why why I love him. So so let me ask you. Like, yeah. Like, when did you first hear Coldplay? Like, how did, how did they become? Because you're a fan. I'm a fan. Have loved them forever. Um, I definitely grew up pretty much glued to TRL and glued to MTV. How old are you? So, Do you mind if I I just turned 30. Oh, you're such a youngie. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was I was too old for TRL. Okay, so you were the original. What is this, Carson Daly? Yeah, I mean, just hatched right out the egg <laughs> and was there, ready for it. Like I, I was definitely their their prime target uh, audience. I think so. Um, I remember the yellow uh, music video, him just running on the beach. And it was such an unusual video. So great. Yeah. It's like the he's he's singing on the beach. Uh, you know, the this I guess it was dark and then it became mm-hmm. sunlight. Yeah. So the sun rises. Also, this is before he had his teeth fixed, so he yes. had that horse face. And <laughs> he's yeah. just got he's got those British bubble lips that are like, no, no, I've got to live too many gums in my mouth. <laughs> and he's like, No, <laughs> you're the, you're skin and yeah. Oh yeah, you're dude. Skin. Yeah, he just it was so unusual and I just remember it kind of burning into my brain and of course obviously that this is 2000 I think that came Mm -hmm. out yeah that song took off that it just started playing everywhere and uh yeah I was kind of hooked right away and then I feel like they just they infected the world like they infected soundtracks you started to see songs there's just popping up I feel like Garden State Garden State Garden State soundtrack yeah even like Wedding Crashers what you mean uh, that scene where Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams are trying to like not think about each other and they kind of tiptoe back and forth between each other's rooms and it sparks. Do you remember the song Sparks? Great then? song, dude. Oh, dude, so the- I have chills just even thinking about it. Awesome. Oh, it's such like yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It's, oh, dude, listen. The first album is a fucking masterpiece. Masterpiece. Yeah. This album, I, you know what? I, aside from one song, yeah. Uh, uh, this is a perfect album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I mean, it's timeless. I feel like you can really just like play it over and over, and it's you don't even think about it. So, did you start going to see them in concert or like I did. early on? Or I saw them um, at the Gorge. So, I'm from Washington State originally, yeah. and have you been to the Gorge before? I've never. No. Okay, so I mean, it's like it's a little like Red Rocks, where it's just it's so beautiful and huge outdoor space and um i had never seen a concert like that uh they this was during viva la vida is when they were touring for this and they I used to this is so fun to be on this podcast because i just feel like a little bit of like goddamn comedy jam is happening throughout it and that just makes me so happy this is just what's going on in my mind all I the time it's just it. me going skiba diva <laughs> that's how I ruled the world. <laughs> Just scatting. That was that's right. That's like, in my opinion, the downfall of Coldplay. I think it starts there. Yeah, yeah. it starts to go down. Um, although I did, I did love about half of that album, but then mm, I started to check out a little bit and Milo. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce that album. Milo Exalto. Yeah, it's got a few good songs. It's got a few good songs, but there are parts that I also tuned out of. Yeah, so at that concert, they were like, they shot like paper mache butterflies out of cannons and they would just cascade over you. It was 
fucking the, magical. And the most pussy shit. Dude. That's the most pussy cold play shit I have ever fucking heard. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> so what we'll do is ride around, fix you, right? When the song kicks in, we'll just shoot little ladybugs into the audience and they'll tickle everyone's fancy. They'll just crawl up on people's clits and make them happy. They'll love it. Everybody here has been castrated if they're a man. And they're all they're being dragged here by their wands. Oh, I know, right? Just to like add insult to injury, like if a guy has to go to a Coldplay concert with his wife and then he gets like butterflies literally shot in his face, he's like, <laughs> he's like okay. Fuck? And I got this bracelet on that yeah. won't stop flashing the whole goddamn show. You're like, okay, Coldplay, I get it, I get it, I'm here. Uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. They had different stages set up throughout the gorge. And so, I mean, I remember he like walked right, Chris walked right by us at one point and... It was just amazing. They were incredible live. If you've heard any of their um, live tracks, it's very different than the album. I feel like they really give it like an individual flair and it's, it's so good. Funny you say that. I remember. So I've seen them live. Okay. Um, but to, 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 to go off of the point that you just made, uh, my buddy Angelo Bowers, who's not longer, no longer with us. I remember it was like 2011. We were watching YouTube clips and there was a full concert from Coldplay on. Yeah. And Angelo and I, we, we were kind of making fun of it because at this point I wasn't as big as a fan as I was because yeah. I'm going to get to that. But I was like, all right, yeah, I still love the the earlier shit, but the newer stuff I'm just not feeling. And we watched that concert, like the two and a half hour concert, like blown away by how every song was so anthemic. And I think that's why Coldplay is big because right. a lot of their music is made for a hundred thousand people to sing. Yes. So I. Yes. So I. So just like you. Yeah. I, I got into him from Yellow. Okay. Yellow was was the thing. Now also yes. it during that time for me I was in my British rock phase. Okay. So I had spent some time in London, um, and then I came back to the states in like '99. And I was so, I wanted to be, I am British. Like I'm like 33% <laughs> British, but me oh, okay. and my mom just are like, no, we're British first. Full and blunt. then that 66% Russian can go fuck itself. <laughs> we are right. British. Right. And I mean, I was saying like, right. And I was just like listening to Radiohead and Gomez and Travis and the Verve and just all these fuck British yeah. bands. And yeah. I mean, wearing turtlenecks. <laughs> Like having a Mott haircut. If I can find these pictures, I'll oh, show please. you guys. please. You have to post those pictures. Uh, but, but then I found Coldplay and I got parachutes and fell in love with that record. I mean, not yes. just yellow. Like you said, Sparks, the one that's like, when I counted up my moon. Uh, just everything <laughs> yes. on there. So then we went to go see them live. They, okay. We, they played at the HF Festival in Washington, D.C., which was a huge festival with Incubus and fucking Audio Slave and, and Coldplay. And me and my buddy Johnny and Paul were, like, so excited to see Coldplay. But Johnny's girlfriend, Lisa, was fucking slowing us down. And she was like, you know, like, I'm, I'm almost ready. And then we're like, I know, you know, I was like, you know what's going to happen? We're going to fucking walk in there and Coldplay is going to be like... You know, it's going to be like, everything is yellow. All right, everybody, have a wonderful night. Shut up. We get there. I swear to God, we walk no. in and it's literally like, dun, 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 dun. Thank you, guys. Good night. Oh. So we didn't get to see him. Then, Fuck. then this album came out. Um, and immediately I started downloading everything on Spotify, not Spotify, on uh, Napster. Napster. Mm-hmm. And and then they played the the Baltimore not arena but this Baltimore I think it's like Pier Six it's okay. like right on the water 
and I brought this girl and just the most magical concert I have ever been to. Just everything wow. was so great. And and then it was just like I was I was so obsessed with this band. I yeah. mean, there this is one of my favorite bands during that time. Um and then I'll always remember um, when they played the MTV Music Awards, and I don't know if you remember this, but Justin Timberlake was like, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest band in the world, Coldplay. <laughs> and I was just like, really? The, the great? I mean, they're good. Yeah, that's a big stamp to put on them. But, the, but this album, I mean, just from beginning to end, it is just great song after great song, super catchy. Um, but... You know, I think this is the beginning of the downfall of Coldplay. You think? I, I think that. Well, I think the next record. I feel after like X this, and I feel like X and Y was still really strong, has but then fix I feel you on like it, so it's perfect. It's, yeah, because of Fix You, it's good, and then it's which good is for you. great. Yeah. Um, but then I think, like you said, it just starts kind of falling apart. Like Viva yeah. La Vida has a couple good tracks, Mixalto, whatever, and then, yeah. then I stopped really listening Me to too. them because they went techno. Right? I was like, this is com- an entirely different band. This so, is not the same music at all. So what does this album mean to you then? So A Rush of Blood to the Head? Yeah. To me, I feel like for a lot of people, Coldplay uh, embodies a lot of what they were going through in relationships, good and bad. So I feel like a lot of people fell in love during Coldplay songs, like while uh, they were going through maybe like their first relationships. Yeah. They're like, oh, this is our song. And also Coldplay is what you listen to when you're going through a breakup. Like, I think they just have such a strong tie-in to people's fucking heartstrings, yeah. you know? So, um, like, oh, Jesus. E- like, every song I'm looking at this. So, Green Eyes, you know, that was, like, my my boyfriend's, like, definitely one of our songs, yeah. you know? And Clocks, Christ, how can we not talk about Clocks? Clocks is 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 a, I mean, this is it's a phenomenal song. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Just, I, I think every, every song... In this album, to me, is a favorite, and um, I think it's my favorite album of theirs. Really? No, I, I I think this is. I definitely think this is where they became Coldplay. It wasn't like yeah. before. It was like oh, they're just like every, they're like Radiohead light. Sure, because yeah. <laughs> they picked up a lot of people say this. This is yeah. like Coldplay picked up where Radiohead took a left turn at the bends. So yeah. as it went from like the Radiohead was doing very poppy, you know, like accessible songs and yes. then they made OK Computer, Coldplay was like, well, no, we'll, we'll, we'll take it from yeah. here. Like, <laughs> I can do Street Spirit. I can do it all. And yeah. fucking... And, Pass the baton. And I think that that's why they were so popular because as Radiohead became so out there. Yeah. Coldplay was like, "Nah, man, we are here with these perfect little choruses and and just it makes you feel good and you know, you you would think that all of our songs are deep, but the lyrics are just low-hanging fruit, mm-hmm. like just there's nothing. <laughs> right. There is nothing in these lyrics. Right. Even politic, which you're like, "Oh man, they're saying something to the man." There is nothing. <laughs> I've read every lyric to go through this. So let's do this. So our album is number 466 out of 500. It is a sophomore release, A Rush of Blood to the Head by Coldplay, released on August 22nd, 2002, and produced by Ken Nelson and Coldplay. All right, so now looking back on it, you know, it's been fucking... 
I don't know math. What's O2 versus... Oh, fuck, 17 years? Yeah. It's been 17 years. How does it still, like, affect you now? It's one of those things... But Okay, so clocks. Clocks is still something that will pop up on the radio. It'll pop up while you're fucking grocery shopping in Ralph's. <laughs> yeah, this is like Outback Steakhouse music. Yeah. <laughs> this is like... This is the music that's played while you're, sh- while you're eating at an Applebee's yeah. <laughs> for a happy hour. 100%. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Um, I think clocks still gets me. Every time I want to stop what I'm doing and just listen to the song because it is so powerful, yeah. I think. Does it still affect you that way? The you know what song is the one that affects me? The only song that really affects me is Amsterdam. Oh. That's the that's out of all of these songs, everything. And dude, I'm not putting any of them down. Like right. I, like I said, this is almost a damn near perfect album. Yeah. If it wasn't for a whisper, yeah, which is garbage, <laughs> hot garbage, hot garbage. Hot but garbage. but if it wasn't for that song, I would right. say this is an A plus record. Absolutely, um, and yeah. it deserves almost everything that you know it got. Like I think it got. Best Alternative Grammy. It uh, they I think they won for Best Rock Performance for him in my place, yeah. and uh, also Record of the Year for Clocks. Like all of these, it deserves. I feel like out of any of the records, it deserves to be on the list. Yeah. Um. But as I've and it's funny because so I started listening to it, and it's you know I'd already known it. So when I was getting ready to record this. I started playing it a few weeks ago, fell in love with it. And I, then I started listening to all Coldplay. And then as we were getting ready to record now, I've been listening to it and, I, and I'm skipping a lot more of the tracks. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But it's the one that's always resonated with me is Amsterdam. And then also one that I hated and now that I love is the title track, A Rush of Blood to the Head. Yes. Um, yeah, that one was never a super, I don't know, favorite of mine. But... Um, God put a smile upon your face. That beat is just It's great. Yeah. It's a, it's a great song. Um that's like probably the rockiest song. Yes. I agree. On this record. All right, funny story about me and Coldplay before we dive into the record. So, re- literally half a block from where we are right now, I went to go buy cigarettes at like 3 in the morning. It's the corner of Franklin and Beachwood, and as I buy cigarettes, I walk by this car and there's two guys in the car. And they say something to me, but in my headphones, I'm listening to Coldplay. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, nah, man, fuck this. This is 2010, okay. nine. And as I walk up the hill, that car pulls up from like, so it's literally maybe about 10 yards away from me. Yeah. 
and they pull a gun. <gasps> it's a cholo, two cholos in a car, and they pull a gun, and I got my headphones on, so, and they're saying something to me like, you know, which is probably like, break yourself, fool, break yourself. And all, all, I, all I heard was, <laughs> when you try your best, <laughs> you And I'm like screaming. Oh my God. And then I run, and they shot too. And then the <gasps> cops showed up. What? and Yeah, the cops showed up. They said it was probably a random gang initiation. But just how bad would that have been for them to have to tell my parents that I'm gay because they found me dead <laughs> and what I'm listening to is Coldplay. Fix you's in your headphones. It's like, what? No. Oh, my Tears God. Tears stream. I'm just like, oh, God. It hurts so bad. Oh, my God. So the song, so the album, let's dive into the album. Let's do okay. some song breakdowns. Okay. okay. So the album opens with Politic. Probably the most intense song on the record. Yeah. Uh, I love everything about this song. I love the intro and the chorus, and I've probably sang this a million times in my car. The ending's the best. Uh, Peter, play minute three, second 44. It's so, good. so beautiful. So good. Probably the most powerful part on the song. What is uh so tell me what are your thoughts on politic? I love how it starts. I mean, like you said, it just it grabs you by the balls. It just kinda kick you right in the ass. For Coldplay, you're like, Oh, Jesus. Jesus. I mean Jesus. it's where did this come from, Chris? It's, yeah, it's the intense piano. It gets you good. And you're like you're in it. Yeah. There's no which I love. I, I love that they don't waste any time. They're just like, No, you're listening to the fucking album now. All right. The opening song was actually written a few days after 9-11 and is basically a call to, to be humane and respect the humanity of everyone else on this crazy, fucked up planet. It's not very lyrically deep. Uh, the message is universal, if a bit hippie. And uh, by the way, politic with a K, because that's how it's spelled, is the Swedish, German, Indonesian, and Danish word for politics. So oh, seeing how this is how... 9-11 affected them. Yeah. Where were you when 9-11 happened and how did it affect you? I was in fourth grade. Um, and at, I mean, to be honest, I was, I mean, that's young. You're young. So I remember seeing it on the TV in the morning before I was leaving for school and just not understanding really what was going on. Um, I knew obviously something was like really wrong. I, re- I remember my mom being just horrified and like trying to explain it to me. Um, but uh, at that time in my life, I'd never seen anything like that before. Did you guys, did you, you didn't see it then. So you weren't really living it while it was happening. You were just kind of, I mean, you're in fourth grade. Like that's how old are you? Like, like nine, nine years old. I mean, that's so young. Yeah. That is so young. Yeah. So what did your parents explain to you? What happened? They explained it to me. I mean, I was seeing the footage on the TV, but I feel like also at that age, you're just walking by the TV and seeing random shit all the time. You're seeing, uh, you know, action movies or whatever bad things happening uh, in TV shows. And I think you don't understand really what the difference is between a movie and if the thing you're watching is really happening or if it's some sort of reenactment or whatever. But I just remember looking at it and being like, oh, my God, that's a plane just went into a building. Like, what does that mean? How is that possible? And uh, and like I said, my mom being so. Uh, just sh- shaken up and trying to explain it to me but um yeah I don't I don't have very significant memories of that day other than kind of 
just being confused and knowing that something was really wrong. Well, how political do you allow yourself to be? Um, I now. mean, now. now, not at fourth grade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fourth grade. Real strong views <laughs> as like, a nine year old. I was stomping <laughs> for Bob Dole. <laughs> oh, Bob Dole. Um, I mean, I think now in this time of, of Trump and everything going on, I feel like everybody, even if you weren't that uh, inclined to speak about politics now, people have more of an opinion because it's just everything's so much more polarized now. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. How He's, about you? But, but, I, 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 have a, I have a Trump joke, uh, but it's more about race. Okay. Just how you can, I don't understand how you can hate one race. Like, how can you hate Mexicans when there's so many shittier races of people sure. out there? Yeah, like, yeah. Mexicans are pretty damn good compared yeah. to Scandinavians. <laughs> but is it even possible or necessary to joke around about the current beyond parody political climate? I mean, do you have any of anything like that in your I, set? I don't. Um, you know, when I see people taking stances on, on stage, I think sometimes it goes really well and sometimes it divides a room so fast that it's just like ugh. comedy can be hard enough as is trying to get everybody you know like on board and ready to go that uh it just it was never a thought of mine to really talk about it on stage and also I feel like a lot of people look to stand up as a place to kind of escape and um yeah I, I toured with Jim Norton for three years and Jim I feel like is really masterful at talking about politics in a way that is not polarizing yeah. and does not make people start going boo or yeah, it really is just he knows how to talk about his perspective on it and not have it not disrupt the flow of the show at all. Yeah. Like it's just really smart bits um, that don't make anybody want to get into a fist fight after the show. Um, but I just for me personally haven't felt like that's something I really want to talk about on stage and who I mean who knows and maybe in two five years I, I might feel totally different do you but. pay attention to what's going on I do but not it's not something I put enough time into I think to go oh this is something I really want to like actively write about no I understand I I I've, when I wrote the Trump versus Mexican bit it was when I was like watching a lot of CNN and I was just mad. Right. And so that was just my truth at that moment. And now it's like, I bear, I, I read the Washington post. I pay attention to what's going on. Right. Uh, but I don't let it consume me because a lot of people do. And I see that online. I mean, yeah. you go and, you know, there's so many people that we grew up with, you know, on Facebook that are having wars. Yeah. You know, when they should just listen to Coldplay. <laughs> Cry it out. And get out of it. Yeah. You know, because the, all they have to do is put on track number two, which is In My Place. Oh. Uh, thoughts on this? So good. I so I feel like everybody has heard this song. Whether they know it or not, you've heard this song. This, right? is, this is one of those songs that I've always wished somebody would do at the goddamn comedy jam because oh. it's just the way it starts. Um, oh. This So when I, when I was listening to it in my past, I just wrote... I mean, come the fuck on. <laughs> Another anthemic banger. This is Coldplay probably at their best singing about love. I Any, agree. Anytime Chris is singing about love, yeah. you know, it's like, like, politic is a good song, but there's, he's not saying anything. He's, if they called a politic and they made it a little bit more intense and that's their version of being political. Yeah. In My Place is a perfect Coldplay song. It's an evolution of yellow and everything off the first album. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, it just feels so fucking good. 
This was the first song they wrote for this album and also the first single from the album. And it won the award for best rock performance by a duo or a vocal group at the Grammys. Wow. Peter, play. This is my favorite part. Peter, play minute two, second 44 when they bring it down and kick it back in. Oh, yeah. It's a relationship song about regret, perseverance, and how we can try to do better, but inevitably can't change our flaws. What are some of your flaws or defects that you recognize and have to work on? Ooh, in relationships or just in general? In general. Shit. Uh, I feel like my perfectionism really like fucks up a lot of my life and then in turn kind of fucks up things for the people near me because like I'm so hard on myself and then I think I hold people around me to sometimes like unrealistic standards uh and perfectionism just it kind of steals joy from you. Like nothing is ever good enough and I do feel like a lot of comics like do you feel like you struggle with perfectionism? No, I, I'm 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 very imperfect. I like when it comes to things that when I'm excited about something, I'm like, this is the way that I want it to be, and so I see it. And usually, when I come up with the idea, nothing really changes. It's just I've been carrying the same torch from the beginning to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I you know, it's, I I always want to do well. Yeah, but it's not like you know, I don't like if I have a bad set. Like I'm always aiming to just to go up there and have fun and kill. But it's like yeah. if I do okay, I'm at the point where I'm like, meh. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I pick myself apart. Um, I also feel like I'm a very, uh, I'm an impatient person. I feel like I definitely am kind of like workaholic adrenaline addict where sometimes I can be a little bit uh, like reckless. Like I'll just be trying to do so many things to keep myself hopped up on adrenaline uh, that I think that can be like detrimental to my relationship or or like working relationships where I'm just pushing all the time to try and get like the next thing or whatever I I think in this social media time you're seeing people all the time getting opportunities and you're like okay well I want that I want that yeah but that's not real I know you know that right? oh yeah you have to accept that I used to sit there on on if listen if you're on Instagram and you're looking at other people's lives and getting depressed, just know that that is not real, everyone. Mm -hmm. That is not real. It's completely fake. Everybody's touched up. Everybody's been holding on to these fucking, you know, pictures from when they went to Cabo San Lucas, and they're just (laughs) slowly releasing them throughout the next six years where it makes it look like they're doing shit. But nobody's doing anything. There's like three people in this world that are doing something. Yeah. You know? And they're not even really doing anything. Right. They have people that they've hired to help them do a bunch of that shit. Yeah. I think I think there's a I think there's you know I I've I've gotten to a point where I'm okay with with what I'm doing and as long as I'm putting love behind any of my work it doesn't yeah. it doesn't bother me if it you know of course I want it to do well but if it fails you know you just come up with something else yeah very very true but let's take this into relationships now okay this song's about regret do you have any regrets about ending certain relationships now I know you're you're engaged mm-hmm, yeah but let's not could be friends it doesn't just have to be lovers sure um you know I don't I don't think I have regrets on ending relationships because I'm I'm very stubborn like I'm a fighter 
like if something's gonna end with me and a person it's because it really like got to a place where it actually needed to end um I feel like I don't like I don't bail on shit easily so like my first relationship it had it had really run its course like we how long ago was this oh that was you know like uh, end of high school into the beginning of college and it was just obvious that like we were we were so young and our lives were growing apart and like it just it really was the right time and then my second big relationship was like end of college into right out of that and it was with somebody who um had borderline personality disorder and I didn't know that he had it until after I got out of it and I got into therapy to try and figure out like what the fuck I had just been through. Um, so that was a situation where I, I definitely did not regret ending that relationship when it did, because uh, I mean, it honestly, it probably should have ended sooner, but I just, I ha- being with somebody who has borderline is so complicated. And if you have not been given that roadmap before, you don't know what the fuck borderline? is going on. I dated a girl with borderline. So, you know. Oh, my God, dude. It was like the, there's black and white. There's no gray. I hate you. Don't leave me. That push pull. <laughs> that's like the number. Like, I think the, the number one book on borderline is called I Hate You. Don't leave me because it's, it's a, that's constant. A perfect, yeah, that's it. right. Isn't that in a nutshell? And I, if there are uh, people listening who have borderline, I never, ever want to like make people feel we're not demonized. trying to shit on you no yeah. but you're crazy you're <laughs> fucking to see gray the, i know gray. you can't be right all the time so i have a podcast called self-helpless and we actually had one of our listeners on who has borderline and who has been in therapy specifically for it and he was fascinating to talk to and kind of understand some ins and outs of um of the personality disorder with somebody who knows he has it is in you know treatment for it but that I mean that fucked me up for a long time. Yeah. So, um, but I don't regret that relationship. If anything, so you know, I'm I'm getting married next month. I've been with my guy for over seven years. I met him when I was 22. If anything, I this isn't a regret, but I do wish I had met him later in life because it's tough. I think to be in a committed relationship your whole 20s because yeah. I. F- that wasn't you, so my... you, you wish you could have fucked more. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have an open relationship now, so I like I repaired that <laughs> I hope situation. He's listening to this, he's like, "What the fuck?" No, he knows. <laughs> we. I mean, I think we feel the same way. But like, uh, you know, we have an open relationship now. But uh, but you have an open relationship. Yeah. So if you're on the road and you meet a cute guy, you can fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. I guess the and you said that so matter of fact. Like yes, we've talked about it, and we're completely okay with it. That's, yeah. Uh, how do you be? How do you become okay with? Who brings that up first? It, we had kind of eased into it over the years. The first two years of our relationship were not open, um, and I think that's pretty normal because the beginning you're so infatuated. There's so much novelty, and then at least for me, I was like, wow. I met him when I was 22. I was not planning on meeting this person so young, but I had never been more like in love with somebody and felt like, Oh, I could really spend my life with this person. However, I I wasn't ready to stop having like all experiences in terms of like, you know, romantically, sexually. And so a couple years in, I started to kind of bring up like, what if it was like, you could make out with people like you can just have like a drunk make out. And he's like, yeah, okay. That like, that's, that works for me. And so that was that for like five years was, uh, if we're on the road and you want to have a drunk makeout, it's no problem. It, we just didn't want to like know. It wasn't one of those. It's not like a cuckolding thing where I get turned on to hear about it and vice versa. It's just like 
we don't own each other if you want to have an experience that doesn't negatively impact our relationship then like why the fuck not you know like live your life and then more recently and like in the last couple months is when we started to be like you know like if you're in a situation and you like really want to have sex with this person and again like it doesn't negatively impact our relationship then like do your thing uh it's just I think you get to a different place when you've been together for so long because you start to look at like the really long game of it. Yeah. Like how do we do this truly for like a, an, another seven years and another seven years without resenting each other? Again, it's not something that we do to like turn each other on. It's it's just the idea that even though we are together and love each other so much that we still are our own people and, you know, still can find other people attractive and have stuff like that yeah well speaking of uh, loving somebody so much uh chris martin is a huge fan of the liverpool band echo and the Bunnymen, and reportedly martin wore lead singer ian mccullough's coat while they recorded this song hello tom may here host of future friday i've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band the menzingers where i've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people so i started a podcast On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Coming up next after that is the one that you fucking love. Mm. God put a smile on my face. Yes. Another classic. Yes. Uh, Peter, just play minute three, second 45 when it builds at the end, which is basically what Coldplay does. They bring it down and then they fucking hit it. <laughs> so play it, face. Peter. <laughs> The song is basically saying that one should appreciate what they have because life is short and nobody knows what actually happens after death. If there is a heaven, hell, or moral code, nobody knows. What puts a smile on your face? Oof. I mean, comedy. Yeah. I think we're super lucky to get to do what we love for a living. I, I don't know what percentage of the world gets to do that, but it's it's pretty cool. I love that... Um, I've been doing it for 10 years now and I still like that's the best it's the best feeling to go on stage and and have a good show it's it's the best so that um, even in a bad set even in a bad set you're still like you're just grateful for you're able to do what we do and this is you know this is a dream of yours and mine oh yeah I mean I remember it was maybe like a year ago I got stuck in the Salt Lake City airport overnight during a storm I remember lying on the airport floor and being like I would rather be here on the floor of the airport at 3 a.m. than at a day job I hate 
completely. Oh my god! Even even at the worst of stand up, exactly. it's still better than you know fucking working at you know the macaroni grill, which I did for a while. It's <laughs> terrible. Oh, Romano's macaroni grill. Are you a are you a religious or spiritual person? Um, I wouldn't say I'm a religious person, but I definitely I like I like the idea of energy, and I'm into like feng shui and shit, which yeah. I guess makes How me a witch. How is my place feng shui wise? Is I need to spend a little more time in here, but I as soon as I walked in, I was like, oh, "This is good energy. I like it in here." Yeah, well, I smudge, but then you wouldn't yeah. let me do it. The second I'm I sorry. walked in, she's like, "Get your dog away from me! I'm allergic. Please, God, don't light that incense. It's gonna bother my allergies." I'm a bubble child is the word. Can you not look at me in the eyes? <laughs> I'll turn to ash. So sorry. Um, yeah, but I, I, I mean, with feng shui, you can get into like a legit witch place and it's, it can get too crazy for me, but I do like the idea that how you set up your environment and what you surround yourself with, I think you, it totally reflects what your life is. Yeah, no, I believe all of that. I believe, yeah. I listen, I believe that if you clear the wreckage from your life, that was why I created that show where we give away real things from our life yeah. that we just can't get rid of. And then it's like, so we bring it in the audience. Whoever just gets good energy, we give it to them. And it's like, you know, when you just keep your like home clear, it's just, it's just great, man. Like, yeah. it's like, there's no stress. It's like, that's why I'm live as kind of like a minimalist. Yes. Um, it's, yeah. But the idea of God, I mean, are you mm. a religious person? Were you brought up religious? Uh, so my my dad, after my parents divorced, my dad married a, a woman who was Catholic. And so that became like, I would have to occasionally go to Catholic church and, um, you know, sh- they would like say grace at dinner and all that shit. But my mom was very not. So I would go back and forth between these two very, very different households. Um, I... I believe that there's like something I think yeah. I think there's a bit a higher power but I do not feel that they are um like all powerful. I feel like who created this though? <laughs> That's the shit that blows my mind. Yeah. It's like dude, like we are on this planet that has all this shit that we've like evolved into creating Yeah. and it's just like like how did are there other people out there like us? Is this like a thing around the universe? Because it's just, it's like, listen, I got a little high before we take the podcast. So <laughs> you're getting me at my like, my like, fuck dude. It's, I have yeah. that, but it's like, there's, it's the chicken and the egg thing. Yeah. And I just, it, when I really try to think about it, it, it just like, like I get scared. It's oh, almost like I'm trying to figure out the matrix. me to my core. Yeah. I can't think about it for too long or else I feel like I'm going to have a panic attack. Like when you really try to get into like what, the f- what the fuck happens when we die and all the- like, Oh, I'm so afraid of death. Too- oh, me too. I, too like, I'm mad at my parents for giving me life because I'm going to have to die. <laughs> like what the I fuck just, were you thinking? I just don't. Yeah. I'm just so I, it's, I'm more worried about not when I'm going to die. Well, I guess it's a when too, but it's just where I'm going to die. I, I don't mm. want to die. I want to die like in my bed with family yeah. members uh, or I want to die in like a hospital on a lot of opiates. Okay, yeah. Uh, I don't want to die in public. You don't want to get oh. shot while listening to Fix You. Uh, that would be fine because it <laughs> was nighttime and nobody would have seen me die. I just would have... Yeah. Um, I just don't want to be like, ooh, I'll take two tickets to Dark Phoenix. <laughs> you know, yeah. and then I, I pass out. De- I want to die. I said this <laughs> the other night. I want to die in my bed while uh, Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue is playing in the background. Oh, Just, my God. Tonight, tonight, and I just close my eyes, give like the devil horn fingers <laughs> yeah. and set me free. 
Your voice is so good. Thank I you love very your voice. Much. All right. So nice. Let's get into the scientist. Okay. Uh, tell me your thoughts on the scientist. Can we play just a little clip? I just want to. I want to get, get the vibes again. Sure. I like Peter, the feel. Peter, play uh, the beginning of uh, the scientist. This is the song that, like, that I said at the beginning where, Chris, not Chris Martin, Justin Timberlake, you know, he was like, yeah, <laughs> it was the most fucking like ridiculous shit I had ever heard in my life. He's like, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest band in the world, Coldplay. And you're expecting when you say that they're going to be this like, like it's a guy, guy, like a powerhouse band. Yeah. And it's just this <laughs> pussy, like, you know, big ass teeth, motherfucking yeah. Chris Martin. And he wasn't dressing super weird yet. Like he wasn't dressing like Will I Am from Black Eyed Peas <laughs> yet. But yeah, you know what? I'm going to I want to say this. Like I, I used to like this song. I don't like it anymore. It doesn't do for me what it used to. I remember the music video so clearly that everything was in reverse. Do you remember this? Everything's yeah. going backward. Um, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't hit me the same way I used to. I used to like it, but now I, I I just don't feel as much. Maybe if I watched the video, I'd probably yeah, I'd probably appreciate it because the the video was extremely difficult for them to make because it took you know almost like three full days to shoot it because it's basically the illusion. He had to learn all the words backwards, so because uh, it created the illusion that he was singing the song correctly, but while well, everything was going backwards. What's the most difficult thing you ever did in your career so far? Oh, probably, probably getting the Tonight Show and the process for that. I had really set my sights on doing that specifically. Um, And it was like a, a year. It was a year of like sending tape, getting notes and going back to the drawing board. And, um... It just, I, it felt so good to get that phone call. I mean, that that phone call is like the ultimate crack cocaine. How long from the first submission until the, getting it? Until getting it. I think honestly, like a year, maybe like a little less than a year to do four and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fucking ridiculous? It's it's wild. It's so wild. And it does, you know, the Tonight Show. It doesn't do like back in the day. You do the Tonight Show, and then it's, it's like it's just family sitcom. Like it's it's so different, but it is still. The Tonight Show. It's Dude, still like an amazing. It's should, a thing that you. I'll die with that. Yes, you and should, I love dude, that. You should pat yourself on the back every day. That should be that moment where it's like, you know, like I can. Nobody can ever say I'm not a comic. Like exactly. I am a hundred percent a comedian. That's yeah. how I felt when I got new faces. I was yes. like, I got new faces. I'm like, I'm in. Yeah. But, yeah. But then the Tonight Show. You. It's regardless of the reach because now there's so much other shit out right. there. Right. So different. It's, it's like, you know how bad I want to do Conan? Mm. I want to do Conan so bad. And yeah. it's not going to do anything for me, but it's just, I just need it. Yeah, it's and funny. I'm going to do. do it. You will. And it's funny. It, like you're saying, it won't do anything for you, but it will do something for you. Sure. Because it will, it's a validation. Sometimes in this job, it's like you have to feel validated for you. Yeah. Just that like you accomplished a, a goal that you set your sights on and it's that feeling is powerful. So. Completely. Yeah. So what was the most difficult thing about that? I think so like I said I had been opening for Jim Norton on tour for like I think about two years at that point maybe a yeah. little bit more and Jim's crowds are so um, they're like they're like my favorite 
crowds on the planet. They're just godless animals. Like they are <laughs> just I mean, they're wild. fans of Jim Norton, yes. ladies and gentlemen. And he made monster rain for Christ's Exactly, sake. exactly. So I loved getting I, I felt like I could really be myself with his crowds and like literally nothing was off limits. Nobody would ever get tight butthole about anything. You could say whatever you wanted. Um, but at the same time that I was like really leaning into that, I was noticing that there were opportunities out there that required you to be able to work like squeaky fucking clean, like really, really squeaky clean. And I know that there's an argument of like, uh, you know, you just need to do you and don't like worry about trying to be something else. But for me, it was kind of a challenge because to me, it felt harder at the time to write clean jokes, like sex jokes and and anything that had uh any anything that was like m- more uh, profanity in it came to me much more easily sure. than a clean joke and that's not the case for everybody but i do feel like for a lot of people it's easier to write a dirty joke and i just looked at it as like i want for myself to prove that i am capable of not only writing clean jokes but clean jokes that are strong enough to do the tonight show so i think that was the hardest part was learning how to write in that way that didn't use like the word boner to get the punchline laugh yeah you know and actually just be as like smart as and clever as the joke could be without relying on it sure um the cool thing about this song uh this came about and i was just as i read this i was like holy shit it actually makes sense Chris Martin wrote this song because he was trying to play George Harrison's 1970 song, Isn't It a Pity, on an old out-of-tune piano. Peter, do me a favor. Play the beginning to George Harrison's Isn't It a Pity. Yeah, it sounds exactly yeah, like it. Yeah. So you can definitely see uh, when he did that and, yeah. why he, and why he did it. The next song, Clocks. Tell me your thoughts on Clocks. Oh, Clocks. <laughs> Classic. Why is it so important to you? Why Why does it, you know, is there like, is it associated with a memory or is it just being a kid? I think being, uh, being in high school and maybe it was, maybe it was middle school, but just... That piano, there's something about it that it like moves you to tears. Like I feel like it doesn't even matter if you're going through something emotional as you're hearing it. But the just the first few times I heard that, I remember being really like, wow, I have chills all over my body listening to this song. You know what's funny? Hmm. It almost didn't make it to the album. The, <sighs> the band had already completed 10 songs that were ready for the new record. But when they thought that the album needed something else because they they were really looking at the album like it was rubbish while they were trying to figure out how to fix it chris came up with the piano riff late in the sessions and was going to save it for the next album but phil harvey chris's childhood friend creative director manager and unofficial fifth member of coldplay heard the demo and encouraged him to do anything he had to do to finish it and include it in the album 
Phil is actually wow. quoted saying, no, you must do that song now because you're going on about urgency and you're talking about keeping this song back. And that doesn't make sense because this song is literally about that. Yes. Uh, and I guess the rest is history because this is the one of the biggest hits they've ever done. Yeah. Have you uh, been encouraged to do something that you were hesitant to go through with? Oof. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe doing, I'm just trying to think, probably doing Wrists of Fury. Honestly, I have a foosball web series. I love it, by the way. <laughs> I just love Jaren. Jaren. Oh, God. Kelsey is a, like, award-winning, ranked national <laughs> fucking foosball player. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Because um, you're, so it's like your mom, not to go too long because we've oh, only yeah. got a little bit of time, but like. Like, my par- and my parents met playing professional foosball. It's the reason I exist. See that girl with the fucking, with those, them wrists? <laughs> them see that wrist action? Imagine that on my dick. <laughs> Rip it clean off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's such a weird part of my life. But I had people um, telling me forever that I should like be writing a joke about foosball. I should be doing a web series about foosball. And I think I was just stubborn and thought it's the least relatable thing I could talk about or do. Why would I do it? I was just for some reason I really had this like this boner for being relatable and like oh you had, you can only talk about things that people also do and that they get. And I forgot that there's this whole category of shit that you should talk about that's just fascinating. People are fascinated by the fact that professional foosball exists and they want to know more about it. So um, John Heffron is the reason. I started Rissa Fury because he was like, I don't get why you have not done something with this sure. yet. And he kind of like, he like guilt tripped me a little bit and I needed it. I needed somebody to be like, this is, it's dumb for you to just be sitting on this. You should do something. It's not that hard, like put something together. And I just sat down and did it. And now it's with all things comedy and I love it. It's, 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 it's not about the foosball. It's about no. you. You're likable. So watching oh, you play and beat people, like it's funny. Like I don't thanks. expect you to be a good game between you and Dean Del Rey. <laughs> Nothing against Dean because yeah. I love him to death, but right. he it's, might be good. He looks, cause he just, he's so, actually pretty good. Yeah, he is pretty good. Oh shit. Have you hit you on the foot? <laughs> yeah. Um, some listeners thought that this song was uh, a ripoff. Uh, they thought it was lifted from Windham Hill recording artist, new age musician, Alex de Grassi's 1981 composition, Clockwork, because of some of the musical elements. Oh. But this is, like I said, about urgency and yeah. time. Yeah. What in your life came at the perfect time? Oh, probably meeting my fiance um, while I was in my uh, past relationship with the borderline ex. So I met my fiance like six months before we actually started dating. And I met him at an open mic. Remember just being like, God, there's something about this guy. Like I'm really, he just, he seems awesome. and super attracted to him. And then like didn't see him again for another three months. And I was still in my relationship. And I just had that thought in the back of my mind of like, I feel like what I'm in right now is not, it's not the right thing for me. And this isn't, this isn't a, a good relationship anymore. And uh, my fiance kind of kind of saved me, I think, by showing me that it's possible to have a relationship that was not just full of like hot, cold games, like very con- with my ex. It was very conditional love. Yeah. You know, it was like and, and it, without any logic to it, like a day would go by and all of a sudden I was like just 
the worst person and like you know he just like wouldn't want to talk to me it's borderline i mean yeah. that's not you it's just exactly. that's what's going on in his head but when you don't know it's like all i could do is like what am i doing wrong it's you know the See, whole walking on eggshells when she, when i was with the borderline yeah i was about to say the borderline bitch because that just sounds like a <laughs> no you know the borderline, the borderline bitch? bitch the bb the yeah. bb when i was with her she's a very sweet girl but she told me right up front she goes i'm borderline personality and Oof. and she explained what it was right and so i knew that was why i didn't like i didn't give in i was like no you're fucking you're having a fucking See, episode you knew. You're i didn't having know an episode well a lot of people aren't that self-aware and they're too right. embarrassed to talk about that but right but she was like you know two days after meeting her she was like i love you let me tell you everything about me she's like on yeah. my computer i have a picture of brandon yuri's uh dick and that's the lead singer of panic yes Disco. yes oh my and I was god like, well, delete it we're together now <laughs> she goes hey it's, you know, it's a famous dick i mean <laughs> i mean i don't <laughs> all right let's let's move ahead all right that then is followed up by daylight uh, great song. Once again, the lyrics are cheesy. He's saying, to my surprise and my delight, I saw sunrise, I saw sunlight. That's the whole song. Right. Green Eyes. Oh, They're doing eyes. a very country rock vibe. Uh, yeah. It's people thought yeah. this was about Gwyneth. Mm. Uh, but no, this song is uh, about someone completely else because he wrote Moses about Gwyneth. Oh. Um, and uh, people also say this is about Johnny Buckland. I have no idea who the fuck that is. Mm-mm. I like those two songs. I like Daylight. I like Green Eyes. And then you get Warning Sign. <sighs> Warning Sign. Peter, so uh, this is one of my favorite off the record. Peter, uh, play the play the first verse. Warning Sign I miss the good part that I realized I started looking and the bubble burst I started looking for excuses In the song, he broke up with somebody and he now regrets it And there's a whole lot there What in your life do you regret? This is tough. I mean, we talked a little bit about things I don't regret. Like, I think you asked if, if I ever regretted ending certain relationships, and I don't feel like I have regrets with that. <sighs> things I regret. Stick in the... Uh, the oh, for the, sure. The, what is it? Tell, the just, manicure tool? Yeah, go ahead and tell everybody quickly. I you do. Can, you can watch this on on uh, Comedy Central, by the way. Yeah. I do regret this, and I don't regret this. I So, <laughs> when I was in high school, I... Um, tried to masturbate with like a handheld manicure tool and it made my pussy swell shut and I had to go to the emergency room. So that was like my first experience with masturbation. Uh, I found out I was allergic to latex <laughs> that way. Just some random Just fucking... a nail file thing uh, right up there. It just, it looked like a dildo in my defense. It, it really, really does. It, it the relaxor. The relaxor. Yeah. It looked like something that you would put in a hole and I did and so I regretted that for about 10 years I love that you said that you know my water bottle looks like something you stick in a hole but that doesn't mean you have to put it in there I've learned that I learned that now you're looking at it like that should go in a hole that should go in a hole that Buddha over there with the round head put him in my hole that's a good girth on that Buddha (laughs) belly Um, yeah I I mean at that age I think you're just trying to figure out like what fits in there and what feels good you're just you're young you're young you got a hole um I regretted that for about 10 years because I was so... You need to call your first comedy record, You Young, You Got a Hole. (laughs) (laughs) You Young, You Got a Hole. You Young, You Got a Hole. You Got a Hole. Um, I regretted that for 10 years because I felt so alone about it. I wasn't a comic yet. I was just horrified. I was horrified. Um, 
maybe it wasn't 10 years, maybe about five. I regretted it. And then once I started to tell my friends and they were laughing so hard, I was like, oh, there's something here. This is funny. This is funny to them. It's not they're not like, oh, like you're gross. Like how embarrassing they were like, that's hilarious. You should tell everybody. And so then I eventually worked up the courage to tell it on stage. And then that became the story I told on this is not happening. So I regretted it initially. And then I ended up not regretting it because it got me my first like Comedy Central credit, which was so uh, amazing and fun. Hey, this is Mike Wiebe, and I'm the singer in a band called The Riverboat Gamblers. And I'm Zach Blair. I play guitar in a band called Rise Against. Mike and I also have a band called The Draculas, and we also have this great, amazing new podcast called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah, each week we're going to ask ourselves and we're going to ask our guests what three favorite things they are into at that moment or in their entire lives. And then we're either going to agree with them or we're going to make fun of them. And uh, you're going to listen to it and you're going to like it or we will make fun of you. How about that? I just flipped it on you, the person listening to this right now. But we're going to do it every week here on the Sound Talent Network. Once again, it's called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell you how many stories I've told on different podcasts that bring so many people joy. So, so much, so much joy to so many people right. that, that used to like make me feel Horrify. like such a loser. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm, this is why I'm, I'm not a good person. And now it's like, you take the bad and you turn it into something good. Yes. That's the key to all of this. You know yes. what I mean? Don't look at all this stuff. If you shove something in one of your holes when you were younger people, <laughs> it's all right. You're not a bad person. Yeah, well, I get people who come up to me after shows, you know, when I was telling that, and they'd be like, oh, thank you. I put, I a, put my, my father's shoehorn in put, my asshole. <laughs> really? A shoehorn? I mean, people were telling me, great. I put a, a carrot, I put a hotel remote control. I mean, people were shoving weird shit in holes, yeah. and I made them feel like it, they weren't a freak, and it, it was nice. It was nice. All right. Uh, then the song goes on to a whisper. This is my least favorite song on the record. If the album would be an A+, plus, if it if it didn't have this. I agree. Uh, then you have a rush of blood to the head. Uh, yeah. This one grew on me year mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. year of listening to it. Um, and musically, this is basically Chris trying to do a homage to Johnny Cash. And if you mm. listen to it and then you find out later on XXY, they wrote a song specifically for Johnny Cash. Uh, the one that's uh, the hidden song. For you I wait till oh, kingdom come. come. Yeah. Yes. So this is basically uh, their homage to that. Okay. Uh, and then you have my favorite song on the record. I mean, I because there's I, there's a few that I just love, but Amsterdam is something that I wish I would have learned on piano to impress people. Yeah. Because it's such a beautiful song. Peter, play uh, the part right when it's about when it kicks into the big finale. Stuck on. Goosebumps. Yeah, this whole album is goosebumps. You know, to me. if you want to shit on Coldplay, you can go ahead. You can make fun of them. There's a lot of stuff to make fun of. But man, you know, something like this, something like "Fix You" when it kicks in, the tears stream oh. down my face. I mean, that, I've cried to that. Oh, because it's just Violet it's Hill. So, do you fuck with Violet Hill? I do, but I wouldn't put that on the same fucking level as I mean, "Fix You" in Amsterdam. No, I wouldn't either. But I love and long and dark December. But when that like it cuts out at the end and it's just the 
I took my love down to Violet Hill. And oh, it just yeah. goes quiet. Oh, you just get chills. You know what? One I really like, mm. uh, the, the final song on that record, Death uh, and All of His oh, Friends. Oh, His Friends? Yes. Oh, my God. Some girl had it on her MySpace page <laughs> for, as like her theme song that I was trying <laughs> yeah. to fuck. And I was like, oh, shit. I didn't know this was on the record. And I'm I started feeling listening things. to it. Yeah. Uh, so all in all, I mean, you yeah. go through this album. It's, it's, it really is fantastic. Do you want to do some facts? Yeah, let's do some facts. Uh, in my facts, in my facts, <laughs> the facts that I couldn't fax, I would fax for oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> Coldplay met and formed at University College in London in 1996. It went through several awful names like Pectorals and Starfish before landing on the slightly less awful name Coldplay in 98. Wow. What's the dumbest thing you ever did in college? Oh, Jesus, that's a long list. Um, I got alcohol poisoning on my 22nd birthday and woke up wearing, um, some dude's shirt and I didn't have my phone or my purse, but I was in my apartment. I didn't have my keys and there was a little note card next to my face that said Jeremy with a phone number on it. I didn't know a Jeremy and I walked next door to my neighbors and used their phone and he, he picked up and was like, Hey, um, my name is Jeremy. I'm the manager of Jimmy John's Sandwiches, and I drove you home last night. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's nice. I fucked Jimmy John. Um, I di- actually, I did not fuck him, which he was a perfect gentleman, the nicest guy to take you home when you're in a blackout. And it, it turns out I had, like, I had like made out with a professor that night. I fuck passed yeah. Out. Were you in his class? Uh, no, but he was, like, the hot professor. He was, like, like, the professor grad student. He looked like an Armani exchange model. He was so gorgeous. So I like made out with him at like the dance club and then I passed out on the toilet of the dance club and had like puke covering my arms. They had to carry me out and then the uh, Jimmy John's guy drove me home and I threw up all over the inside of his brand new truck. So, brand new. Brand new truck. Fuck you. Brand dude. new truck. Oh, 100 percent. It was terrible. Um, and you almost died. I almost died. Alcohol, alcohol poisoning. poisoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was shaken for about 48 hours. It was not good. I don't regret the dumb shit I did in college because I would no, way man. rather do it there where you should than like be that person that like didn't do it and is doing it when they're 42. For sure. Yeah. All right. Um, they had 20 songs ready for this record, but they thought they had finished the record before they added clocks. They decided to take off songs that they thought sounded too much like the previous record so they would show distinct growth. Oh. What have you discarded to move forward? Oh. Well, I feel like as comics, we're always trying to figure out what that line is of like when you discard a bit. Uh I recorded my album last year and for me I think that was a good time to go okay like let's move forward from 80% of this and just really try and uh, wipe the slate clean also I'm getting married next month so also for this past year I had written like a lot of engagement material and I'm telling myself be ready to like kind of move away from that or at least change it in a way that makes sense for like being a newlywed as opposed to being engaged but um I don't know. How do you feel about that with like dumping material? I do. I think there's too much pressure now that you sh- people are like, you need to have a new hour every year. And I don't necessarily think that's realistic. I mean, I haven't recorded. I've only recorded, you know, six minutes on Comedy Central that hasn't even come out yet. Okay. So, I mean, when I do like when I record it, that's when I'll get rid of it. I'm constantly yeah. writing. Yes. I'm not doing like shit that I 
you know, well, that's not true because there was, dude, there was, there were premises. I found my old joke book and I saw old premises and I was like, man, this is, this is good. Right. Why couldn't I do that? And you're just like, oh, well, I wasn't mature enough as a performer. Exactly. So now I brought some of that stuff back that's and great. made it and made it the 11 year vet, you know, Josh yeah. Grommet. And it, so I don't think you ever have to give up on something. And, right. Or, but I mean, I think that as a performer, if you're talking about dropping, um, I dropped the idea that I had to be a clean comic. And uh, I, I, I yeah. dropped the idea. And I, because when I, when I did New Faces and everybody was like, we don't know what to do with you. You sing, you, you're dirty. Like, what do you know? You got, you need to be, you know, like everybody else. And, yeah. And that's what I thought. And, and that, that affected me as a performer to whereas now I don't give a fuck. If, right. If, if a joke's dirty, I'm not, I'm like, all right, cool. I got. Then the joke's dirty. I'm not yeah. a dirty comic though. It's just a, it's just, that's who I am. Yeah, I think everybody wants to be able to put people in boxes, and yeah. I really fucking hate that. Yeah. So this next fact will go into kind of that. Because they were striving for such an ambitious level of output, the strain on the band was immense. According to Chris Martin, sometimes practice sessions ended abruptly with one or more members of Coldplay threatening to quit. <laughs> When are some moments? I know you wouldn't think that, right? They just seem like, so peaceful. You can go fuck yourself. Oh, oh, really? Oh, really? And then they just frolic. You, you want to put the song clocks on when you just did a song called Daylight, and that's about the same thing. It's like it's not the same song, man. I mean, this one's about daylight. That's about time, man. The sun comes out. The sun goes down. It's time. You know what? You can go fuck yourself. You're like, what? It's like picturing Teletubbies fist fighting. Like, yeah, it's dude. not, That's you can't pretty... picture Coldplay getting pissed. Are there any moments that you thought of quitting and doing something else? Hmm. I don't know if I've ever like really, really seriously considered quitting comedy in the past 10 years, but there have been times where I've gone, I feel like I need a break, but I'm afraid to even take like a month off. I, th I think there's so much of that FOMO. I know we talked about social media where you feel like you stop for a second and everybody's going to get ahead of you, yeah. which isn't a healthy mentality. And I do think people do need time to like, it's one relax you just said is completely break. false. You, right. Like when my, my dad died, I didn't take any time off and I could have. Yeah. And when Angelo died, I didn't take any time up and I should have. Right. So it's like nothing would have changed. Like my, you're not going to make it in a month. It's and a nobody slow knows. Process. And you can work on stuff at home. It doesn't mean you just have to be out doing shows every night. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think sometimes that's even detrimental to people when they are just like, I just got to keep performing, performing. It's like, yeah, but you're not like that whole concept of you're not filling the well. Like, you're not filling your creative well if you're not going out and ha having real human experiences that actually don't have anything to do with comedy. Yeah. You're not going to have anything to write about. So, yeah. Completely. There wasn't like a moment, though, where you were like, this fuck, you know. Horrible I mean, I've had, show, some, I've had some rough, bad, you bad notes from fucking executives. I mean, I've had some really rough um, road times I, as have all comics. But like, um, I remember at one point I was like on the road with this guy just one weekend. I don't even remember this guy's name. This was probably like six years ago. I did a, a weekend in like North Dakota and he had shingles and he like refused to cancel the gigs and I had to share a car with him for I think like six hours and he just had these like pus filled boils all over his face oh, and ears and he was like he would spit when he talked and so he was just like spitting on me as he talked and I just was looking at these like throbbing pus bubbles 
And I just remember thinking, like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, if this is what comedy is, is that, like, you're on the road like this with people like this, I'm not sure if I can handle it. And then just... I remember I had to stay with a guy uh, in his apartment in New York right before I taped Gotham Comedy Live. And this guy was like the nicest guy, but his apartment was just like he didn't have a bathroom and it's like the shower was in the kitchen. And I realized after he left that he didn't have a mirror. He didn't have a mirror in his apartment. And I was trying to get ready for a TV taping. I had to curl my hair by shadow. Do you know what I mean? Like I had fucking I probably looked drunk. But I had to just stand <laughs> in front of a wall. Yeah, I think Kelsey's fucked up and right wait. now. That bitch is a mess. Look at her hair. Look at them. Look at them. It looks like she did them curls in the dark. <laughs> yeah, and them I dark did. curls. Just going by a fucking shadow, like some BC shit. Um, so there, there's just, I think for me, the times when I've been like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, are when you're on the road, you're out of your comfort zone, and you're like, this is not an easy way to live. But that's probably as close as I've gotten. To quitting? Yeah. Um... I think about quitting all the time. Yeah. But I'm never going to. Right, I right. I just think about it. I it's just think about like what it would be like if I just never did this and what I'd be doing. And then I'm like, fuck, dude. No, of course. Like, I have yeah. to be doing this. Yeah, it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. All right. Final thoughts okay. on the record. First of all, what, what's your favorite song on this album? If you had to pick mm-hmm. one. I mean, the basic bitch in me says Clocks. Because so fucking basic, can't, bitch, dude. I mean, how can you tell that? But you heard me. I said a warning sign in Amsterdam. I think wa- and a rush of blood to the head. Those are the three best. I think it's a tie between warning sign and green eyes for me as my favorite. Yeah. But then there's in my place. Ah, oh, that's so I can't, man. It's, it's that's a, a good record. Yeah, I get it. Don't I worry. Can't. Um, and what song is your least favorite? Probably a whisper. Probably a whisper, just like me. Final thoughts on the record, Dawn. Classic, timeless. Still, it came out 2002. Still, to me, like you can play it anywhere, anytime, and it's that it's that great. Yeah, I think I think for me, um, Coldplay, like I said, man, they they they've really done a lot, and they, I mean, they're playing to their shows are you know thirty, forty thousands. They, they're a stadium band. Yes, and it it was really nice when they weren't. They were just yeah. an arena, and I think that's kind of why I hold Parachutes and I hold this album so near and dear to my heart. XXY is when it turned, and it right. got it almost got too big. So it is, yeah. and with, then it went electric, and then you know, like that one. There's one album, Ghost Stories. I don't even fucking listen to that. Me dude. neither. I tried, and I was like, I zoned out from this first second of it. I was like, oh, this isn't it. Yeah, I, I look at this. I look at this record, this and the first one, um, as as just perfect, uh, you know, like loving and just comfort songs. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's almost like matzo ball soup. It's just yes. so comforting. Oh, for sure. You know, you feel like you're being wrapped in a nice warm blanket. And, and it uh, felt special. It yeah. wasn't as mainstream. I feel like it's like, you know, some of those later tracks were featured on like, now that's what I call music. And it, I think when it gets to that point, you're like, oh, this is it's for everybody now. Whereas the first two albums, you're like, this is for me. I felt like, like yeah, I, that's, a, that's a perfect way to say it is that I definitely thought a rush of blood to the head was just like, there's only, it's like me and maybe like a few other people <laughs> that are listening to this. Yeah. Nobody knows. And then Justin Timberlake's like the greatest <laughs> band in the world. God damn it, JT. Yeah. Uh, Kelsey, you're great. I'm Aww, so happy you, you got to sit me. down this and, so fun. and talk about Coldplay together. Hug, yeah. <laughs> Oh,
And I miss you so. I'm Chris Martin. One more time for our guest, Kelsey Cook, everyone. Chris, get out of here, man. We don't need you. Okay, I'm leaving. I'll do it. Kelsey Cook, ladies and gentlemen. For all things Kelsey, go to her website, KelseyCook.com, to find out what live shows she has coming up. Also, Find her on Instagram at Kelsey Cook Comedy and on Twitter at Kelsey Cook. And make sure you listen to her podcast, Self Helpless, anywhere you get your pods. I'll be posting her mixtape track listing link. And for all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com and follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. And if you want to find all things Josh Adam Myers, go to my website, joshadammyers.com. And don't forget, subscribe to The 500 on your favorite platform. Also, if you're on Apple iTunes, fucking give us a review. Please, dear God, review us. Follow my writer and my boy Morty at DJ Morty Coil and check out his Instagram page, at B and Daddy Cartoons, where him and his daughter B sing songs. Now, we just listened to Coldplay from 2002. Here is an artist that is directly influenced by this album. Here is Luke Sitaw Singh with his song, Lover. And if you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send us your song to 500podcast at gmail.com Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject. Next week is Magnetic Fields Week with their 1999 doozy of a record, 69 Love Songs. It's a lot of songs, guys, but listen to it because they're fucking good. So you definitely have homework to do. Stay fleecy. How we always get Please don't philosophize Can't you just sympathize Hold me tight And we'll sleep till sunrise It's no time For giving up For giving in With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little 
a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe for grind podcast next chapter podcasts